Well, hello to our new listeners. Thanks for joining. And to our returning guests, welcome back. Welcome to Season 6 of the Morosible Podcast. My name is Mo. In this season, like you've been used to, get ready for more amazing stories, more inspirational stories to help you set your stories free. I created this podcast as a resource for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them to share stories and processes, as well as to build communities around important salient issues that affect all of us as humans. So on this show, you get to hear amazing stories from people like you who show us how to get more out of life. The stories featured here are by people whose journey I am partly inspired by, as well as challenged by, but most importantly, people whose courage and vulnerability have afforded us an opportunity to hear their life stories. And I hope you find them as inspiring. Now enjoy your show and don't forget to share this episode and the other ones. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Welcome back everyone to the podcast. This is Mo and today I'm super excited to actually bring today's guest to you. Um, he's a powerhouse. This guy is loaded. Talk about grits and glory. Well, so who is he? Uh, he's a Nigerian-born immigrant who moved to the U.S. just six years ago. And actually in that short amount of time, he's not only completed an MBA, he has started two companies, guys, not even one and two, two companies and traveled to multiple states. His story is one of grits and an immigrant's determination to leave the American dream, right? While his dreams may not be actualized yet, according to him, he's open to sharing lessons learned along his journey. Now, his passions are documentaries and podcasts, and if you were to just go to his podcast, which he has one, it's so detailed, you can tell that he's vested into culture and just that philosophy that there's so much you can learn from each other. That life is just a whole classroom and we can learn from each other's stories. So he brings a lot of diverse guests to his podcast. His podcast is called Culture Class, where he interviews people from all walks of life. I've seen it all. Um, a gay clergy, an amputee, you know, a homeless person, you know, I've seen it all. Just do like a, an in, like type the name of his podcast and type a topic. There's always an episode out for you. Everyone, with, without further ado, please join me in welcoming Osai Yari to the podcast. Hi, Mo. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here. You talk about powerhouse. You're a powerhouse. Oh, please, you know, please, I can, please, please, please. I can, I can be telling you, you're, you guys are the, 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 in class, you guys are the one who sit in front, the serious because people. Because we, we're, we're very back, slow. That's why. Right. We're slow. We're slow and we have, um, eye, we have, we have eye issues. So you know how um, learning by diffusion, like passive diffusion, you have to be very close to the source. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what oh passive diffusion goodness. is. You see, that's what I'm saying. I have to, what is diffusion and osmosis? What the, what the hell are you osmosis, but you know diffusion. <laughs> you know what I did today, though? I was listening to the episode you did the LD. Man, okay. that was a wholesome one. I was going yeah, to let you know. Like, even though I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up in his um, era, but almost like I grew up, you know, I mean, because, you know, some stories were kind of similar, apart from the whole bloody riot thingy, you know, but just the nostalgia of the past, you know, the innocence, thinking you're all one, you know, playing with your neighbor and just, you know, Niger childhood. I wanted to say that to you and your questions were really, really good. 
especially getting to know um who he is like because you don't really get to see that story in the limelight yeah i mean i'm so appreciative to ld like you know i really didn't know him like that i just like reached out to him and he was so gracious like my platform isn't even as half as big as the platforms he's been on and he came on and he was very open and he told the story and it's very unfortunate to see that some of those things he talked about that happened it's in the 80s now. are still um, going on in that, Nigeria today more, more than 30 years ago. And that later. episode was so, like three know. years ago if I recall. Yeah, that episode was what, 2020 yeah. or in 2023? Yeah. So yeah, it was during I the remember, pandemic. I remember, so, you, I remember know, you talked about That's probably why he had my time because it was at home. But still, but still. I, could, I mean, I could have sworn you guys were like, maybe you knew someone who, at the very least you knew someone who knew him. Because, man, two hours of just pure conversation. That's pure gold right there. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've we've gotten to know each other now a little bit, you know, but he's still busy. But, you know, back then we didn't know each other at all. But still, couldn't see you. Couldn't see you. So, um, for those who might be wondering who LD is, I mean, he's just one of the founding fathers of Afro, Afro music. Yeah. And he's so humble about it. You know, anyways, let, let's start with you. Let's start with you. This is, this is your time now. So, hmm. No, sir, I'm, I'm actually getting a bit intimidated here. In just five years, all of this. Imagine if they just give you five more years. Okay, let's just start from the basic you know, um, questions. Everyone knows this is coming. Just tell us a little bit about your background, your family life, how you grew up, you know, and all that kind of fancy stuff. Yeah, growing up was, uh, and, and let me see how I can say this story a little differently than I've done on other podcasts. Um Growing up was very interesting, you know, um, I guess, you know, to start with my parents from from what they've told me and stories I've heard and everything. So my dad actually used to work for my grandfather on my on my mom's side. So my dad used to work for my mother's father. Right. My They were in the military, in the Air Force, the Nigerian Air Force. And obviously, my mother's father was a senior a more senior ranking officer than my dad. Uh, but. Just due to the fact of working with her father, you know, he got close to her and he was a helicopter pilot back in the military days. And one one time he actually kind of like, I wouldn't say, I forget the military term, like go AWOL, but he actually used military equipment, like used a military helicopter to go pick up my mom, which was like a big no-no. Um, wow. But yeah, that was wow. like back in the 70s and stuff, you know, but anyway, that's just a bit of context uh, to, to know a bit of the, the whirlwind of, of how, you know, probably my brother and I were conceived and all that good stuff. But anyways, uh, you know, so they got married, had my brother and I, just by virtue of the fact that my dad was in the military, I ended up living in all sorts of places all around Nigeria. Oh. So I was very, very well traveled. Uh, I always say, like, you know, there are 36 states in Nigeria. Uh-huh. Uh, we probably uh-huh. lived in like 20 of wow. those and, you know, there were times where um, I lived in boarding school. So there were times where I'll go to school from living in one state. And by the time I'm coming back for holidays, I'm coming back to a different state, a different house type of thing. So, um, but it was pretty interesting moving around. I didn't really like it growing up as a kid. But right now I have so many friends like Facebook. I have friends from all over, uh, all over Nigeria, all over the world. And that's probably, you know, my 
the birth of my affinity to other yeah. cultures because I, I kept experiencing things in, in a different way as we moved around. But yeah, that's that's how it was in a nutshell. Kind of like military brat, um, you know, dad kind of like raised us to 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 be, you know, free-minded. You know, he never really was that controlling African parent. Sometimes I, I really, like, see my dad today, like, you really ask yourself, did you really grow up in the village? Like, <laughs> With with no no electricity and no like, he's so cultured. He's so he just thinks differently. Like you would never think he's this village boy that just comes, you know. But everything he knows today, he learned from reading books. Wow. Like he grew up dirt poor, and you know he'll go and help gather newspapers for for the woman who's selling like akara and meat and all that, and she'll give him a little bit of her stuff and that's how you eat for the day and he didn't have money to pay school fees and everything so um you, you talk about my drive today like all i'm trying to do is trying to impress yeah. him to be honest because i'm yeah. like coming from his circumstances what he achieved i'm like man i have no excuses whatsoever so that's kind of like a little bit about my background oh, wow. Well, um, thanks for that. I mean, I can imagine how your childhood sounds like the childhood of dreams of many people's childhoods, but in actualization or in actuality, just the stress of having to not have like ties and childhood already is a fitting moment of the time. And for you, it was further accelerated by just moving around. Of all those places you moved to in Nigeria, which one would you say um, provided like for the most memorable childhood picture. Like if it all could always go back to that one time in your childhood where it was like the picturesque, most pic- picturesque time and you had like the best time of your life, where would that be and why? Yeah, my childhood wasn't all rosy. I mean, there are parts of my childhood I haven't shared publicly, um, but um, as far as like the good memories, a couple of places, I mean, I remember uh, doing growing up a little bit in Abel Kuta, which is kind of like West, southwestern yeah. Nigeria. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. You know, I really got introduced to the Yoruba culture there, and you know, I, I had an uncle who who had you know gone to for NYSC, I think, in Abel Kuta as well, and had stayed back. So, and he was uh, a little older and everything. And, you know, it was probably saying a lot of stuff that kids should not be hearing. Uh, but that was a very interesting time growing up in Abelkata. Uh, it was just fun memories. Um, that was the first time I felt like I was, I became unsheltered. Like I, I wasn't just at home, like we were free to go around the neighborhood and do whatever. And, you know, we're probably about like six or seven, my brother and I back then. And then later in life, when we were about 15 or 16, uh, we lived in Abuja for a bit as well. And it was just my brother and I and my dad, you know, almost like, uh, you know, two and a half man type of situation, <laughs> bachelor pad with, with the dad and the bros type thing. So that was pretty interesting as well because we were learning to drive then. So we would like kind of like steal the car, but we didn't know how to park the car in reverse. So we'll like kind of like park it straight. And my dad didn't know we had taken it. Uh, but it, that was a pretty interesting time. So I'll say Abel Kuta and Abuja, those two places uh, really had good memories for me. So Okay. I mean, those are definitely diverse um, environments. Di- sorry, vastly different environments, but thanks for um, putting more context to that. So it was just you and your brother, correct? Is that the only sibling you have? No. So I, I have uh, three... I have, I have a very interesting family tree. 
But I have two brothers and I have four sisters. Uh, but uh, my brother and I were born just like a year and a half apart. And the other siblings came much later. So most times when I talk about childhood, it was basically me and him. Because, you know, my other siblings were probably like a decade older than. So we're in like, we're not in the same peer group at all. So we're a little older. Wow, that's that's a lot of siblings. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about just moving to the U.S. Why the U.S.? And usually for um, just to apply some form of brushstrokes. When we talk about immigration, especially from countries like ours, they usually, or let me just say typically, you have what we call push and pull factors. Something pushing you away from your country, which is usually the lower resource country, and then pull you, pulling you towards the you know, um, resource-rich country. So for you, would you say that was just like the um, situation in your case or it was totally different? Yeah, I think I think I can relate to that. There was definitely a a push <laughs> just <laughs> living in Nigeria. There was definitely a push. I don't even know if I have to explain that, but um obviously um you want it kind of like better for yourself and your future. Um as far as the pull factor, um I just felt like there are a lot of things I could achieve in the US, which is kind of like you know when you mentioned oh, I've been here 5 years or whatever or, six, or going on 6 years now and it seems like I'm 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 kind of like grinding out here because that's what I came here to do, right? Like we say in Nigeria, we we we, did, we didn't come here to count bridges, right? So yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. man. Um, I mean, I was working in the bank at the time back in Nigeria, and I think there was a supervisor of mine who had probably been working for like twelve years in the bank at the time, and I, I was kind of like in my second or third year. And I was looking at, at him and I was like, is that who I want to be like after 12 years? You know, if I were to remain in the banking industry, you know, Nigeria is a very um, interesting system um, where, you know, it's, it's more like who you know. And even when you know people, it's kind of like sometimes the system is against you. Um, there's no perfect system in the world, but, but I felt like, okay, at least um, in a place like the U- U.S. where there's a little more meritocracy, a little more, maybe I stand a fighting a chance. More, yeah. And if I come here, knowing that I, have, I know my ability, like I have the natural ability, like I think I'm fairly intelligent, I'm disciplined, I'm hard, hardworking. Like if I put in, you know, 100%, maybe I can see 50, even if I don't see 100% output, but in Nigeria, you can never tell. So that was kind of like the pull factor for me. I felt like it was a better kind of like climate that I can, you know, maybe deliver and I'll be rewarded for my efforts, uh, at least to a certain extent. And and that's kind of like why I made the decision. My brother had also come here because no one was actually thinking about coming to the U.S., but, you know, an uncle of mine, he's late now, um, Uncle Monday, uh, he sat my brother down and, you know, he was a very, very brilliant engineer. But, you know, um, he graduated like in the 70s or something. And, you know, like we say back home, Nigeria happened to him. Right. So he sat my brother oh, down oh, wow. and, you know, said, oh, like he was like the top of his class, you know, this and this. But look at where he ended up. And he doesn't want that for my brother and for us that, you know, he really advises my brother to, to seek opportunity outside the country. And we're even thinking about it back then because we're running like a magazine back in Nigeria called Play Mode Magazine back at the time. And we're thinking... Oh, call what? Play yeah, Mode? Play Mode. Yeah, it started in the University of Benin. 
and we're thinking of growing it to you know to add award shows and kind of like hip tv you know kind of like do that whole thing yeah. uh, but it was like look and my brother was kind of like adam i know we've started this thing we're gonna push this thing in nigeria but you know like a year later my brother kind of like took him up on his offer and uh, tried his best. After about two two years of that conversation, he went, and through him, my brother, like every other person, like me, my cousin, my friends, everyone just started like, you know, leaving and, and stuff yeah. like that. So that's kind of like how it okay. happened for me. That that was a push and pull factor for me. It's just typical of every um, most immigrant stories. So now tell me, what you came here for your MBA? Correct. Program. What school did you go to? I went to a little school in Northwest DC called American University. Uh, is it American. Private? Is it private? It is a private school, yeah. Yeah, American University. And uh, till till fun fact, till tomorrow, my, my, my mother keeps asking me, what school did you say you went to again? I like American <laughs> University. She's like, I know it's in America. What school in America? I like, I know <laughs> the name of the school is the American University. American you know? University. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, okay. So even as you were making your way down here, did you ever think you're going to stay back or you plan to go back home or what was your plan? I mean, I always plan to go back home eventually, even now. Like, you know, uh, I yeah. plan to go back to, to, <laughs> last, last in the, to future. the continent, you know, <laughs> eventually. Uh, yeah. But, you know, um, the, I, I just set out my mind that, okay, this is kind of like a decade-long grind. It's, it's been six years now, so I guess four years from now in like kind of like 2027, I'll start to appraise myself on how I, I performed. But I, I just set myself that it's a 10-year yeah. thing, and I have to go out there and try to okay. make something happen in 10 years. Uh, but eventually, obviously, I would love to go back and, you know, give back and, and things like that. So, Okay. That's good. Now, um, what would you say were some of the biggest challenges you had while you were, you know, adjusting to the U.S. system? It could be educational system or otherwise. Uh, I mean, there was a little bit of culture shock, not a lot, um, because I always say this, like, I don't know how, like, our parents or grandparents' generation did it, who came to the U.S., like, maybe in the 70s or in the 60s, because there was no Google Maps, there was no Airbnb, there was no, like, it was easier for me because, you know, at least even I came to the U.S., even when I didn't have, like, a, a SIM card or whatever, I could use WhatsApp with the airport Wi-Fi, I could at least order Uber to my brother's house, I could at least, you know, stay in an Airbnb before I figured out where to have my apartment, you know, I, I could do a lot of stuff because of technology. You know, I could book, I booked a, a Greyhound bus even from Nigeria, even before I got here. So, you know, I, things were made a little, I could use my Nigerian debit cards back in the day before CBN and all that, you know, in the interim mm-hmm. before I got a bank account, all that stuff. So the culture shock for me was m- more so relating with Americans in in college so the the first few months I was very very loud very loud I remember one time I had gotten a job on campus and I was you know the first few months in the new country you're calling a lot of people back home so I was calling someone back home and just how we talk as Nigerians right well just very loud and and you know someone just came politely and just closed the door of the office like he was trying to tell me like Oh, I'm kind of like my voice yeah. is ringing throughout the whole building, so it just like kind of like closed the door. I was like, "Oh wow, I didn't realize." I'm not shouting. Exactly, I'm exactly. <laughs> I didn't realize I was that loud. So over time, um, 
I had to kind of like, I probably, not not consciously, but I probably adjusted just by sheer fact of interacting with Nigerians who back home who've told me that, you know, I talk different for some reason. But um, there's that. And then, you know, um, you know, Nigerians can also be very, very direct, you know, um, and that doesn't really, that's not an easy pill to swallow for a lot of Americans. A lot of Americans can be very politically correct, passive aggressive, that type of yeah. thing. So, you know, I also had to learn to be, you know, okay, maybe not be so direct type of thing. So those were kind of like two two aspects okay. I can say. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate that. So even along that line of your immigration journey, we know that living abroad can be a plus for most people, right? Um, but sometimes it can come with those mixed bag, bags of um, emotions, even though it exposes you to a new environment, a new culture, experiences, but there's some grief that comes with just living abroad. And for some, it might be longing for the familiarity and comfort of home. What would you say is that, what are some things you mourn or miss the most about being away from home or being as a Nigerian or um, just someone who didn't grow up here, but is, you know, living abroad? Right. This is an interesting question. You know, to be honest, like, and I don't mean this in a bad way to say, like, you know, I, I don't miss. So you mean no, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, like, not to say I don't miss I my know, country or you know, there's nothing I don't miss. But to be honest, I think there's been more positives for me living abroad than you know. Neg- there, there's definitely been challenges, and you know, there are times that I, I miss home. But I think the positives living here outweigh anything back home just by sheer fact of me growing up right like number one um that whole family thing is is a little bit of a foreign concept to me uh just a little bit because you know my parents got divorced when i was pretty young my dad was in the military so that whole lovey-dovey family thing um yeah i i don't know if i (laughs) if i can can relate to that a lot uh, and not to say there wasn't love in the family and we didn't do stuff, but, you know, again, like, I, I don't know, maybe it's, it's my, it's my personality as well. Like I'm, I'm okay being alone. Like I don't, I, I don't suffer from loneliness as a lot of people do. Like I'm very, very okay being by myself for, for days on end okay. without any issues. So, um, you know, but obviously, you know, the food is one thing, you know, you definitely, get to miss because it's like oh man like you know just being in nigeria and then also like it is i might sound contradictory here but i also kind of feel like i'm missing out on some opportunities as well like as i'm gaining opportunities here i feel like i'm also missing out on some opportunities back home as far as like the business and career because yeah. when i was about yeah. to leave you know was just when this whole nigerian tech thing started pushing up you know where we're a group of like six or seven or eight maybe nine guys living like a two-bedroom apartment back in the day we're just all just like young 22 year olds struggling in lagos right and one of us worked in jumia and he would come back every day from work with these amazing stories about how the tech sector is growing and i witnessed a lot of tech startups getting born like i remember when paystack was getting off the ground Flutterwave was just getting up. I worked in Access Bank, so the CEO of Flutterwave also was like the head of IT or something. So I remember when they were testing out some of the Flutterwave technology within the bank, and then they broke off to start their own company, right? So um, I I also feel like I'm missing out on men. I'm sure if I was back home, like I would have been 
like, you know, at least like the chief sales officer or something at one of these companies, right? But again, hey, you can't have it both ways, right? Like, you know, but again, there's always opportunity to go back and contribute in some form or fashion, so. And even looking back, I think your childhood of just your frequent gyrations as a military kid has probably prepared you from this life of being away because... If anything, I, I can see that as a launching pad to the life you have right now. And I'm sorry to um, have heard about I could sense a tinge of sadness when you talked about your parents' divorce. And so sorry to hear about that. I imagine it's shaped you as well into, you know, who you are today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is Mo doing her job as a podcaster. I trying to peel back and get the story out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, can you we, we know these tricks. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. To answer your question, I mean, you know, um, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not so much as the divorce happening. It's just a bunch of stuff that happened after divorce, right? Like, um, oh. yeah, it was a lot. And you know, me being in the military, like you said, you know, um, me growing up in the military household, going to boarding school, all that stuff. Obviously, coming abroad, like it was, it's like easy peasy for me. But yeah, the divorce was was pretty challenging for for a young for a young guy, uh, for for young guys I'd say my brother and I, you know, trying to figure out why we're always in the middle of squabbles and arguments and, and things left and right and being confused because you're, you're living here one one time you're living there. But let me just even say this story. So um, we lived in a barracks, right? By virtue yeah. of the fact that yeah. my dad was in the military and then um i know there was a time they sent us away from school right you know this thing they do in nigeria like that if you don't pay your school fees they, they send you away from school oh, yeah. right and yeah. the uh-huh. dude who was sending us away from school who was also an officer because you know it's in the barracks so you have teachers who are our military people and he knew my father and i was like there's no way in hell <laughs> like your school fees aren't paid like your dad is like you know, up there, but because there were squabbles again, you know, court cases and stuff and and stuff. And there were some things back and forth, like maybe for some reason, I don't know why our school fees were (laughs) paid early. It's like, not like the money wasn't there. It's just, you know, just based on the mechanics of the divorce. Responsible for what? And then we're we're sent home from school. So that was a pretty embarrassing, (laughs) embarrassing day for me. But, you know, again, it's all good. Like some of those things, there are some positives that came out of it, but definitely some scars and trauma as well. So, you know, yeah. you take yeah. the good with the bad. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Now let's let's move away from immigration. We've spent you know a lot of time there, but I just wanted I just wanted to give the audience a chance to kind of know a little bit about you because I know you've done a lot of great stuff. So just to put some fluff to it. Now, um, American dream, my goodness, not even like, so I have a business, right? But I know starting a company is not an easy thing, especially keeping it going, right? And you've not only founded one, but two. So tell us how you just, your dalliance with entrepreneurship and how you've been able to make um, your business successful. So I know you are one of the managing partners of Overwrite Inc. Congrats on that. Um, and what you guys do is really to provide some form of um, assistance by aiding community, community development through access to financial services, right? So you use your expert knowledge in finance, management, and strategy. 
you can assist CDFIs, which has um, the community development financial institutions who serve the you know, low income and underserved communities, right? So, and that those like I mean, those are like strategic companies right there because you're right at the very heart of community of the communities that you're serving. So let's just start with your entrepreneurial dream and what Overwrite um, Inc., which is one of the places where you're a managing partner. And all of this in just five years. So see why I say you're a powerhouse, you know. So people are still here in America. I know they were trying to compare, but you've done a lot for yourself. And I think you should give yourself a pat in the back. So, yeah, let's let's talk about you now. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. Like, you know, I read somewhere that some of the best companies were started on accident. And, you know, hopefully that'll be my story as well. Like my companies are still very young. So, but I guess time will tell, right? Like, you know, I never really set out to be an entrepreneur, but I always did entrepreneurial things, right? So my, 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 my challenge was always when it got to that point of collecting money for some type of value, right? Like I could offer value all day so I could, you know, set up a, a, a non-profit association. We could, could run a student magazine. We could do this club. We can do that project. We can do whatever. So far, it involved collecting money. But once I, I, I start to sell a service and I, I ask for money, like, I don't know, there was just something about me that I felt like, oh man, I shouldn't be collecting money, even though I'm offering a lot of value, I should be collecting money. But some, somehow all that stuff prepared me for where I am today. Um, as far as my entrepreneurial journey, um, I think I'll attribute it to just guts, some type of guts that I, 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 I developed. I don't know where it came from because I was a pretty reserved and shy kid. And I, I still, uh, I still am in, in a lot of sense, but um, yeah, I've never really been afraid to do anything. It's like, man, like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, am I going to die? If the, the answer is no, like, oh, I'm still going to be alive after this experience. So why not try it? Like, and when I say guts, like, I've never been afraid to, you know, be made fun of, to make mistakes publicly, to be made a fool of publicly. I dust it off and I learn and we move on, right? So I think that has really been a, a very interesting trait because as an entrepreneur, you know, I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of. It's like, oh, what other people say, what if this, this doesn't work, things like that. So, uh, I mean, my entrepreneurship journey was totally by accident. Um, I, I went to school in D.C. I was trying to stay in D.C. I was looking for for jobs in impact investing at the time because I'd come from commercial banking and I, I thought of commercial banking as the dark side of things. Like, how can I do good? So I was thinking, okay, impact investing is kind of like finance. I have an MBA, but it's impact investing, not just regular investing. I discovered the CDFI world. I got a job offer in Colorado. Again, you know, guts. I had never been to Colorado. Like, why not? Like, what's the worst that can happen? Let's go. So <laughs> move, move to Colorado. Didn't know one person. Uh, found an apartment, did everything, paid for my apartment, signed the lease online without even inspecting or seeing it. I was like, let's go. So got here, you know. I'm like, okay, got here. And then the next day I was in the office. I was like, okay, let's go. I didn't even have a bed, you know. I, was, I went to get a bed after my first day in the office. But um, that's just the type of person I am. So I did that for a little bit. The pandemic happened. I left that job. Um, I started a, a different business in the trucking industry. And then my old employer came knocking at my door about two years later and say, hey, do you want to come back and everything? And I was like, hey, you know, I'm running this other business. You know, 
it's not going to work for me right now. They were like, okay, why not come back as a contractor, right? So that's what they said. You know, and I was like, okay. And my other business wasn't going too well at the time, right? So I was like, okay, might make a few bucks. Let me come back as a contractor. And three months of being a contractor, in my third month, I made more than double the salary I, I had made when I was an employee. And this was without, when I was an employee, obviously you had to be there nine to five. You had to attend meetings. You had to do all this thing. You don't need to do all those things as a contractor. You just deliver your work and that's it, right? So it was less hours and double the money. I was like, man, maybe there is a business here. My, my Nigerian, my Nigerian sense kicked in. And then I was like, okay, I know a lot of other people in the industry. Let me see who else kind of like needs this. So I reached out to a few people. A few people indicated interest. I was like, okay, no, we got to register a company. We have to make this formal. And then, you know, set up this consulting company, which, you know, we've been like on a year or so, almost a year journey officially uh, right now. And it's been pretty interesting, you know, again, working with community development financial institutions. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not just working or doing business that I am, you know, creating some good because those organizations are catering to people who can't go to traditional banks to get funded, you know, things like that. You know, they're known by different names around the world, but I guess the rest of the world is, is kind of like close to microfinance, things like that. So having those type of organizations as, as clients working for yeah. them, by extension, yeah. I feel like I am also creating a net positive for the world. So it's been definitely fulfilling so far challenging, but fulfilling all the same. That's good. That's good. Um, how about the second company? Yeah, let tell us what your second company is about. Oh yeah, the first company. So the first, my first company was Truck Desk. Um, I did that. That was my first foray into entrepreneurship. And um, man, if I had known, because there were like there were probably like eight or nine opportunities for me to do something entrepreneurial in my life. I kept saying no. Friends would come to me, no, so I know you'd be good in this. Come and join me. Take forty percent. Take thirty percent. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not ready. Right. I should have started a company earlier because a lot of mistakes I made with that first company. But it was very interesting. You know, I did that for two years, truck desk. It was more so in the compliance space uh, for truckers uh, and things like that in the trucking industry. And then uh, right now I'm focusing on on Overwrite, which is uh, my current company. And, you know, the truck desk idea is still there, but I'm just spending a lot of my time now more so on Overwrite. And the truck desk is, is pretty much a, a tax filing every year for now. And then we can revisit that idea in the coming years. So. Okay. Um, just for those who might be, I think you kind of isn't into the next question. For those who might just be sitting on the edge about trying to just get it started, knowing what you know now, especially considering there was one time when you start with turn down opportunities, I think you said about eight or nine of them. To what you know now, what would you say? Because I say like there, there could be some actual barriers, but there could be some perceived barriers. Sometimes we let the perceived barriers like hold us back because we just view this mountain around the issue. But by the time you get there, you're like, oh my gosh, it wasn't even as difficult, you know, as I thought it was going to be. What would you say were some actual barriers that, you know, by actual barriers, but then a perceived barrier? And how would you, if you would put some relative weights around them, which one would you put more weights to and how did you go about overcoming them? Uh, first things first, let me say that entrepreneurship is not for everybody. However, I think everyone should spend at least one year, and this is something I'm going to do for all my kids, So, at least one year doing something entrepreneurial, right? Doesn't necessarily mean you should have a business, but even if you're driving Uber, you're having a podcast, you're doing a YouTube channel, 
you're you know doing some non-profit you should do something that you take ownership of and you're you're doing something entrepreneurial you know even though it's not like a business business right um, because it just helps build character and it helps you stay focused and, and maintain discipline all that good stuff as far as actual versus perceived barriers man that varies person to person like in my, i can only speak for my experience <laughs> Perceived barrier is, you know, for me, it was a little bit cultural as well, because there are some things that just seem unattainable. Okay, I've just been in the U.S. for three years. Who am I to, to start a company? Like, I remember when I was working in um, the organization that I said uh, later became my clients, right, that called me back. Like, there was a conference mm-hmm. we're trying to go to. Right. And I think we, they, because it was a conference out of state, they had to fly people somewhere. And I think I was trying to ask my boss kind of like, you know, oh, can I? I was trying to lobby to go for that conference. Right. But she was like, you know what? Like, you've just been here a couple of months. Like there are other people who have been in the company. You know, unfortunately, like we just have three, the budget for three people for flights and hotels. Like These two or three people are going to go, but we'll think about you next year. And I remember when I started my company, I met my boss at that same conference like a year later. <laughs> you know, I'm like, we're here now. <laughs> you know, type thing. So, uh, right. so um, yeah, perceived barriers is just kind of like, man, there's some things that you think you need permission to do. And you really don't need permission. Like when I was giving myself a title, like my first title in the first few weeks I started the company was CEO. And... I was like, man, this CEO, like, it's a consulting company. I don't really feel like CEO captured. Let me change it to managing partner. And I didn't need to say permission from anybody. I was like, let's change it to managing partner. And that's what it is from now on. Like, so, like, that imposter syndrome is a perceived barrier. Like, you feel like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. Oh, I, I just can't. I'm not, oh, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I came from Poland or whatever. Oh, I don't speak the language. How am I going to be in Hollywood and be the biggest actor? It's a perceived barrier, but you can actually do it. Like, no one is holding you, no one is stopping you, right? Uh, I was watching a YouTube channel of a guy who went into real estate, right? And he was like, um, when he got into real estate, like the real estate firm he was talking about, his boss was telling him, oh, no, you have to first be an agent, rent an apartment, and then graduate to here, and then graduate to there. And he just told himself, why? Now, look, what's the most, he lived He lived in California at the time. So it was the most expensive district in California, like Beverly Hills or whatever. I'll just start selling houses in Beverly Hills, even though he didn't have any experience. And he went to Beverly Hills, and he made a lot of mistakes, and it took a while, but like he made the decision to skip steps because he refused that whole imposter syndrome that oh you have to start from here there has to be a progression or whatever whatever so that imposter syndrome is one perceived barrier um as far as the actual barrier um there, there's a lot i mean the the sheer fact of running the business is just interacting with people right um just to to an extent being somewhat of a people person because you're interacting with employees and interacting with contractors interacting with clients now multiply that in my experience running a consulting business, which by sheer virtue that you're interacting with people all day, right? So just different characters, you know, trying to to put on a face. I was someone who who like really didn't care about image back in the day. I'm like, hey, take me as I am, take me as I am. For a consulting business, that might not work a lot because like your personality is almost like your image. You have to be as much as possible, try to be professional because you're sell- selling yourself as much as you're selling your business and the services, right? So adjusting that yeah. way, particularly when you didn't grow up in this culture and you're trying to 
fit in is, is also like a natural barrier and that some of the other stuff you know just learning bookkeeping learning standard operating procedures learning how to to scope out a project pricing those little things that they don't teach you about business in school you know those are some yeah. of the the actual barriers but they are they are overcome they can be overcome so Overcome, yeah. right? Thank you. And I appreciate I appreciate you just, you know, talking about because I wanted to ask you from your personal experience, but even breaking them into the perceived ones and also the actual ones and how you went about and even the importance of imposter syndrome. I don't know for whenever I think about imposter syndrome, I don't know, there's a back of my mind that things are just relegated to females only. So thanks for that reminder that it can happen to anyone. But these are things that are um not insurmountable. Now, um it's one thing to start a business, it's another thing to have people just buying into that dream with you and it seems your company override Inc. you do have other people you're working with as a matter of fact anyone following your instagram i think you guys had a post about 12 weeks ago about your partners and collectively you have decades of experience your expertise is, is diverse and you have a proven track of record um of success how did you go about assembling the team and what are some tips to those who might be thinking of partnering with you know other people because these are people who don't look like you, so I'm sure they are not related to you by any blood. But you found a way to, like, you know, make it work. What are some of your guiding principles and all that kind of stuff? Um, man, the advice I'll have for anyone listening to this is: no matter where you are now, like it's not like I'm up there. Even with this thing I'm doing now, just be diligent in what you're doing. Like, no matter how small it is, like, just if you get to spend two hours with someone and you guys are volunteering and, you know, collecting tickets for a nonprofit, in that two hours, be diligent in that ticket collection because that's the impression that person will have of you, right, going into the future. Like, there's always someone watching, right? There's always someone watching. Like, I didn't even know I had this much clout, like, before I started the business because, it was kind of like my name that carried me for a lot of those relationships because people just say, oh, it's no sign involved, I'm in type of thing. Because I people have worked with in the past, you know, either as colleagues, we've worked at other nonprofits together, we've worked in our high school alumni association together, we've done different things. So they, they kind of like, I've seen my pedigree, they've seen me talk about things and bring them to life. Well, I want to start a podcast, I bring it to life. Well, I want to go abroad, I bring it to life. I want to do this. And the next time you see me, it's up. Right. So I want to start this thing called power break. It's up. Right. So like they knew that, oh, I'm, I'm someone who kind of like stays true to my word. I'm definitely disciplined. And those are all people I've interacted with in the past. Right. There's no stranger. Right. So um, what I'll say is, you know, kind of like my my experience spoke for me, um, which I didn't even know I had. I even though I was doing those things. I just anything I do, I'll just put my try to put my 100%. And some things won't work out, definitely. But for the majority of things, I tend to create a good impression. Like I said, you know, how I even started this business was an old employer reaching out to me and asking me, do you want to come back? Okay, can you come and contract? Like if I didn't like, and that was for a job I stayed for like a year and a half, not even a long time. So if I didn't create like a good impression, they wouldn't want to like give me the opportunity. I was certainly not the only person to have worked there, right? Why am I the only person like they reached out to type of thing? So um, try your best. Some people just try to, you know, um, focus on their own goal and not give value back and just like try to burn all the bridges and everything as they are trying yeah. to achieve their stuff. Uh, but I'll really say like, you know, um, give value, 
um, be diligent in what you're doing and, you know, the rewards are waiting for you in the future. So in my experience, that's what it was. It's just like people who had known me in the past and, you know, when I was ready for something, it was uh, a little easier to talk to those people. So, so just keep keep doing good work <laughs> and that's going to speak for you, right? That's what you're trying to talk, let us yeah. know. So by the time you come calling, they're like, oh, we know him. We know his signature. He's consistent. He's reliable. He gets the work done. It has a touch of excellence. Yeah, keep doing right. good work. And also personal branding is important as well, right? Like, I didn't do this deliberately as okay. well. But, like, also, like, let people know what you're up to. Like, you know, if that's... Yeah. You don't have to be broadcasting your whole life on social media. Okay. But at least have, like, <laughs> if it's for professional, like, have your LinkedIn page that someone who has never spoken to you, like, that wants to do a podcast, for instance, can go there and kind of, like, at least have a sense of what you've been up to the last couple of years type of thing. So a little bit of personal branding also helps. I like that. Thanks for that reminder. So let's let's talk about media. I know you are a documentary buff. As a matter of fact, in listening to your, even just media and entertainment as well, and you have a thing for just archiving processes. I think it shows in just how you would approach a podcast and storytelling. Like for example, when you were talking about um, when you were talking to LD, you had talked about how you had wished you there was like a form of just archiving the process of the banking industry in Africa or even Nigeria as a whole to like a museum you could walk into and just learn how it started and you know how someone like Jimovia started his bank and Tony Lumelo. So what about what what would you say has has inspired your love for documentaries? And now you also have a podcast which you're gonna get into right. in a bit. And how would you say this passion has influenced your career and personal life? Oh man, I blame my dad for that one, the Discovery Channel. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I blame my dad for that one. So it was back in the day. Um, and, you know, if you're a Nigerian, you probably remember this when the Zenith decoders used to be, this was pre-DSTV. So, so like the, the Zenith is called like multi-choice and whatever. And you could only connect it to one yeah. TV in the house, not two. One TV, you couldn't do multi, multi-view multi or whatever back in the day. So, and he connected it to the TV in his room, right? So he would give us an hour of Cartoon Network every day, just one hour. So we choose whether I want to watch Johnny Bravo or Courage the Cowardly Dog or Cow and Chicken or something. Uh, but we just had one hour. That was it. The other hours was Discovery Channel, right? And it was in his room, right? And if you know an African parent, you can't just go into their room, right? Yeah. Anyhow. So yeah. what he would do is that even as he's asleep, he'll leave the TV on. It'll be muted, it will be on so we'll be outside his room it'll be on discovery channel and try to peep through the keyhole and be watching discovery channel like that's what we did and it was funny because when i went to school in dc discovery channel yeah hq is right there in silver spring maryland right kind of like 40 minutes from my school so it was pretty interesting going out walking the halls of discovery channel like damn that is what shaped my whole life as a kid right so or discovery communications i would say um, but yeah, Discovery Channel is kind of like what started it for me. I, I've always been a very inquisitive person. Like I said, I grew up kind of like shy and reserved, which I, I still kind of am. So one of those things, uh, being by myself, is kind of like just learning, right? I'm a very curious person, and I learned a lot through reading and through documentaries. So 
Discovery Channel kind of like opened my my eyes to the world out there. David Attenborough, all these all these other games, uh, Animal yeah. Planet later in the day, and National yeah. Geographic later later as well. So that just kind of like built my affinity for documentary. And there's a way a documentary is being told. There's something deliberate about a documentary wanting to pass an information compared to the passive nature of say a movie. Right or, or like music, there might be a message in the movie or music, but it's more passive. But a documentary is more deliberate, and it's a very interesting way to learn about something very, very quickly. If you listen to a documentary about Southeast Asia for thirty minutes, you can probably learn a whole bunch. Now watch a bunch of Southeast Asian movies, right? So that's kind of like my foray. You know, my dad and Discovery Channel growing up was kind of like the birth for me and then anything i do i just kind of like want to learn on how to do it better and that 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 involves research right so that's kind of like how the whole documentary thing is for me so yeah nice good to good to hear that part thank you so um not to put the whole weight on your the responsibility on your own like on, on on you all but let's. I'm curious to know, as just a Nigerian-born immigrant here, how do you think the representation of African cultures, and that's a very thick one because you know it's so diverse, in media and entertainment can be improved? And just through your foray into your podcast, because you know you talk to people from all walks mm-hmm. of life, what role do you see yourself in playing in you know marginally improving on that? perception that is you know not so accurate about african cultures about africa as a whole i hate to say african cultures because i'm I, i'm not different from some, someone saying oh, i'm traveling to africa but where are you going you know in africa right, 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 right. africa is not a country right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not a country <laughs> yeah man you should probably ask my brother this question you know i'm far from a professional media person Everything I do in media, as far as the podcast and other things, I just to satisfy my own curiosity. So I I don't have an agenda to shape anything or do anything. Although having said that, you know, of course, we can be be shown in a better light. But um, the only way we can do that is to, to take the responsibility for our own stories, right? Like, just like I said, with personal branding, right? If you don't put yourself out there, like people are not going to know what you do and who you are. Like people, uh, you know, I follow this comedian and people always complain that he posts too much, but that's what he does as a comedian. He has to brand himself as a comedian. So anytime you think about comedy, like you're the first thing that comes to his mind, right? It's the same thing for the continent or the same thing for a country or the same thing for a tribe. You have to take it and own it and brand it, you know? So, and, and I know like where I'm from in Benin, for instance, you know, they do, we just opened up a museum, um, like two years ago, you know, documenting, you know, kind of like some of the specifically like the Benin's um, involvement or, or the impact of the Benin people in like the transatlantic slave trade and things like that. So, um, again, that's my tribe being deliberate, right? So if we're not deliberate about our own stories, like anything we're given, we're just, we're just going to have to take it like that, right? Like an American journalist wrote a book about the Soros okay and SARS thing. Happen oh and people gosh, are complaining. Yeah. I was like, nobody wrote a book. Like, what do you think is gonna happen? Like, if you don't write a book, they, they say, um, till the till the lion learns to speak, 
the story is always going to favor yeah. the hunter, yeah. right? Because it's always going to be yeah. told from the hunter's perspective. So as a lion, if you don't try to like craft your own story. So what I'm trying to say is that we have to take ownership, right? If we want to see something changed, we have to take ownership and start infusing those things into you know, our narrative or else, you know, it's going to be handed to us and we have to take it <laughs> however we receive it. So yeah, that's my own two cents on the whole issue. It's a very broad issue, but hey, that's my own two cents. So I mean, I like that. I think, and I'm beginning to see just some proliferation of Africa. Let me just talk about Nigeria. Just how like Netflix, for example, now, you know, even though we can have some things that are not so nice to say about that, but the fact that Nigerian music has gone so far, you know, and our artists have put us on a world map. I went on a cruise the other day and when we stopped, I was in Haiti or somewhere, or maybe Jamaica, and they were blasting Afro music, like, you know, nonstop. And I'm like, wait, what? Have I just, you know, entered Nigeria? But so I, I, I agree with you. We have to be done to tell our own story. Otherwise, you know, it will just be co-opted. And I'm hoping that even with the um, opportunity afforded by social media, to kind of, you know, help spread those things. Because we're seeing that on TikTok, you know, and all these trends, especially during COVID, how, how the world felt like a um, like a small, like a global village, a small global village. With time, hopefully, we can begin to change that narrative. But I think we've, we've certainly started doing it in Facts. some areas. But yeah, definitely in our yeah, music. Yeah. And I'm so proud of, you definitely. know, where Same the music here. is now. And I have this feeling that this is just the beginning, right? The, the music is the launch pad, but Nigerians all over, like in business, in tech, in government, everywhere. Kind of like how, you know, 8% of Silicon Valley CEOs are Indians. That's going to be Nigerians mm-hmm. in the next 15 to 20 years. Just mark my words. right? I think the, the Afro beats and the music is kind of like shining light on how talented we are in other areas. So what is happening in the Afro beats is going to happen in business. It's going to happen in tech. It's going to happen in government. It's going to happen in spirituality, different aspects of life, you know. We're going to definitely have that window, mm-hmm. um, you know. But, you know, hope, hopefully we don't drop the bag when we're giving that, that, that global stage. But, yeah. I agree. I agree. Thank you for that. Now, let's talk about your podcast. It's called the Culture Class Podcast. And according to you, it's a podcast that encourages people to learn from one another. And in your class, everyone is a student of life. Um, (laughs) How did it get started? And my goodness, I should just commend you in your repertoire. It's such a rich um, um, resource you have on there. And the questions and the topics you've explored, the people you've brought on. It's like, if someone were to like, do a content analysis of where's the and what's the commonality there's no common the commonality is that it's just a space to learn about <laughs> right. everybody and you've, you've you know enriched it with diverse you know um people just living their life and doing you know great things in their space and it's not even just like the um the superstars like ld but even like commoners but the the, the commonality is that it's a space to kind of grow and and learn more about you know just how much more united we are than you know separate when it comes to uh, diversity as a way so what what about it what, what got you started in your podcast and what has just been some some greatest what would you say are some of the highlights of just having your podcast what has it done for you we talk about sometimes being a host you get to like share stories and your listeners tell oh thank you for that episode you really right. helped me 
Now I'd like to turn that around and ask you, what has it done for you having that podcast? Man, uh, first to answer your first question, kind of like how it started, right? So my last year living in Nigeria, I lived in Southwest Nigeria, AKT State, right? I lived there for a year. So I was mm -hmm. working in a bank and they moved me to kind of like go, go set up a new branch in AKT State, right? And I knew nobody in AKT State, but you know, like it's NOSA. So I'm like, okay, let's go type thing. So I lived there and because I didn't know anyone, kind of, I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts, right? And this was like, it's 2016. Um, that's when I started to discover podcasts and I, I always wanted to kind of like explore starting my own podcast. So when I moved to the U.S., I moved to D.C. And D.C. is just a mesh of like global cultures. Like I met people from Romania, India, Pakistan. I made all these friends. American University is also like a very... Well, relatively diverse, not all the way diverse, but, you know, I guess how you look at it, there's some diversity there. So I made all these friends and the School of Communication was was literally there. Like I'm a, I'm a type of person that will take advantage of every resource. They had a studio in the School of Communication. I was in the School of Business, right? Um, so and I happened to work at a campus job who had a SOC, School of Communication student. So I'm like, look, Tongwa. Let's team up and start a podcast so we can use your school of communication bad to have access to that studio and start a podcast. That's kind of like how it started. Um, but yeah, um, it's been pretty interesting and rewarding so far. Uh, my podcast is going to be five years old in November this year. So doing a podcast okay. for five years is like, man, this is it's a lot. So people ask me, like, what's the motivation? It's not like I'm making money or anything from it. But the rewarding thing has have just been the people I've met. Right. Those conversations I've had, these are people that oftentimes we get to continue the conversation. I mean, meeting someone like you would have never been possible without the podcast, you know, meeting people like like Nancy, like LD, you know, Richard, like uh, everything I've done, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a very good networking tool. And because I started it as a student or a business student. That was a very interesting way. Like my podcast was instrumental in getting me my job. My podcast has been instrumental in business. Wow. My podcast has been instrumental. I was reach out to an old guest and say, "Oh yeah, you work here. Can you introduce me to that person?" Like I brought it up. Wow. Like I remember when I was interviewing after business school, I brought it up that oh, I think my podcast was about two years old then. I like, oh, I've been doing this podcast for two years. I was just impressed, you know, that oh someone could stick to something for two years and luckily for me i wasn't talking about kanye west and kim kardashian fighting mm -hmm. you know, no, no shame no <laughs> shame to anyone who does no shade like anybody, any of that yeah. pop culture stuff like there are a lot of people that do topics that they can't necessarily bring to the corporate environment for good reason but me i can i talk about stuff that i can take anywhere right right so it's kind of like nerdy stuff anyway so that networking piece and you know has really opened the door for other things i've benefited from not directly again and coming back to kind of like whatever you're doing, try to do it well. So if I have a guest yeah. on the podcast, they, they have a good time. I make that connection and I can offer value to them. Because sometimes I also just reach out to my old guests and say, oh, when you came on the podcast, you talked about this. I saw this link. You should check this out. You should apply for this. You should add this to your business. I try to add value in those other ways behind the scenes. So when I need something like two, three years down the line and I reach out, you know, they are very receptive to me as well. It's definitely not easy, but, you know... Um, um, that's something that has been rewarding for me. So, Wow, thanks for that. I mean, especially 
landing a job and just being able to almost like keep connected not just to your topics but also to the guests being able to know okay who has this that i can get from or who can i share this with thanks for that reminder of just keeping it moving and maintaining that network of um i guess yeah keeping your network codifying your network in such a way that you're you're in a loop with things that might be coming up and what you can share with others now um i know for a fact you have communities of practice and it does it's not even a no-brainer that despite just being here for a, a few years I have a strong suspicion that your network is very strong in the sense that you're very intentional about networking because there's no way otherwise you'll have been able to do it. Great to get you far, but then to get people to buy into that dream and work with you is one thing. And this is how I know. I'm also a part of one of the legacies you have, which is Podbreak. Uh, and I will say that, you know, um, I know the importance of communities of practice, right? And especially for podcasters, it's a great way to connect with like-minded people to develop those sustainable um, professional relationships. And um, for you, you're very intentional about, you know, let's not just reinvent the wheel. How can we bring, you know, um, Africa to the fore? How can we pull our resources together? And I know you come up with really bright ideas. You were even thinking about maybe we should just hire tech and everybody can share, you know, do like cost sharing. So you're really, really big on that. What, what, so your cultural class is one, pot break is another. How did that come about? And again, similar with the question, similarly with the question with the um, culture class, what has pod break been like for you? And for those who might be interested in being a part of it, is this something that is open to just any podcaster who you know identifies as black? Or what are your um, inclusion criteria for pod break? Yeah, I mean, pod break, uh, just for context, is like uh, we call it the gathering of African podcasters of the diaspora, right? So we're all podcast hosts, producers, enthusiasts, whatnot. And we're all kind of like living in the diaspora, but we're all of African descent. I think we have like 17 countries or so represented in Park Break. Um, how it came about was, again, me doing culture class. Just by virtue of culture class, um, I, I got to interact with people from a whole bunch of countries. I probably like interacted with people from about 50 plus countries at this point. And, you know, a lot of them were Africans, right? And there was there's this huge event back on the continent called Africa Podfest, which I got to participating for a year or two. And I wanted something I, I you know, kind of like try to reach out to the organizers and try to kind of like involve the African diaspora in some way. I wanted that. Uh, but they uh, for good reason, I totally you know respect their decision. They wanted to kind of like focus on the continent. So I like, you know what? Like I know a bunch of African podcasters. I've been on other podcasters' show. A lot of African podcasters have been on my show. Like, let's set up something. So I reached out to like four or five people in my network, uh, you know, Matilda, Okuchi, uh, a bunch of other people and say, hey, let's, this is an idea I have. Uh, the first idea was for a tour. That was the initial idea, right? Yeah. Uh, like, let's do a yeah. tour. Like, like culture class was turning like three years old or something back then. I was like, look, I, I really love to do a multi-city tour, like go to four or five cities, like how Joe Buddy used to do. But so I was like, man, but tour is so expensive for a podcast that's not making money. So, man, can we come together, like three, four of us, while all African podcasters do like the Africa podcast tour? And that's kind of like the initial stuff. But then, you know, people then a little bit, we got talking. I said, look, okay, instead of doing a multi-city tour, let's go to one city and just at least meet up 
record, gel over a weekend and do all that. And we did that. We called it Pod Break 2022. And then from there, you know, to keep the conversation going and everything like that, let's start a WhatsApp group. You know, we can meet once a year or once every two years, but let's continue this conversation virtually. And that's how, you know, Pod Break kind of like blossomed and every podcaster referred another podcaster. So that's kind of like how we arrived at where we are today. So we're certainly welcome um, all podcast hosts who are Africans who are living in the diaspora. Uh, so, because we have people everywhere. As far as like what I've benefited from it, you know, it's pretty much community. You know, I'm very big on community. I'm very big, big on networking, you know. So, again, you know, meeting people like you, uh, you know, my, my senior colleague, uh, <laughs> meeting, <laughs> meeting people like, and I'm, I'm it's, it's also helped me deepen a lot of the relationships I already had because, you know, uh, me and Okushi, I've, I've, I've gotten to be very interesting um, friends over the last couple of years. I've been running public. I've gotten to know Zambaza a little bit more. So, you know, that that connection, that community is very, very important because, you know, it might not end at pod break. You know, I've, I've done a lot of these things over time to know that, look, five years down the night, 10 years down the night, you never know where this will go. But you should just kind of like cultivate that while you have it and then it might lead to something, you know. Wow. I mean, let me just, lot of correction. I'm not a senior colleague. <laughs> My distinguished colleague. So, <laughs> I still have a lot to learn right. from you. Um, thank you, seriously. Thank you for such a refreshing conversation. Um, I've taken a lot from just chatting with you today. I think the biggest one is to just keep doing doing your work in a way. Like, I see no one is watching. No, you're, you're not doing the good work because you want to be recompensated for it. Just keep doing your, have your personal branding. And eventually that will speak up for you. Your grit is going to go a long way, but there's nothing quite like having people who believe in you. But you have to have been able to prove yourself. Like, shown consistently what you're able to do. And I think that's one of the things I'm taking away from your, um, from your conversation today. And I even think just the, the sheer... I don't want to say, I don't even know the word for it, but it's quite a laudable achievement that you've had in the past six years. And, so, and I don't know whether I sometimes you even like, you know, tap yourself like, is this all a dream? You've done great for someone who's just been here. Because I imagine that um, transitioning from a student to a non-student role, actually they even explored the immigration pathway and all that. And so I imagine there was some, maybe just with most immigrants, a little bit of adjustments in that area as well and then starting a business and then starting another business. But here you are, and I imagine that this is just the beginning for you. And given the kind of person you are, I can tell that there's still more coming you know, our way. Like, we ain't seen nothing yet. But all of that to say, thank you. Thank you for leaving us with, you know, some doses of inspiration. And just a reminder that um, as complicated as this country can be, it's still possible to have your dreams, you know. And I want to thank you for your your candor and just your openness. I think that's the meaning of candor. Just talking about these things. Thank you. You're welcome, Mo. I look forward to doing it again, you know, sometime sometime in the future. So uh, thank you as well for having me on, on your on your show as well. Thank you, thank you. Maybe we should do like a a pod break in person live session. We should we should we should, we should still do that tour. 
it would be nice to tour like a, a major city and just gather up. Yeah, you know, know what's funny? Nice like, we did the first one in Chicago, right? Uh, in 2022. I remember, yeah. Um, um, we, we, we've, we've always talked about doing one at Essence Fest, right? So, Zambaza, through his wife, has some plug, uh, and they always go to Essence Fest every year. I think it's in Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, every year so you know going down to like louisiana whatever wherever essence fest is and just tying into that whole you know black excellence and the africa and everything mm-hmm. and, and doing it and obviously there'll be essence fest like that city is always like alive that whole week so maybe we, maybe we can have yeah. something like that 2024 you never know but um definitely we'll definitely do another in-person meeting um but that yeah, we'll keep you guys posted on that one <laughs> Looking forward to it. Um, and on behalf of everyone on the show, thank you so much for coming. For those who want to find you, where can they find you? Oh, it depends. Find me for what? I should probably get a personal website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see what you do. Yeah, there. but um, yeah. let me just drop the ma- the major links. Um, so for for work. So I, I am a CDFI consultant, and I work with community development, financial institutions, credit unions, community banks. Uh, we do a little bit of outsource underwriting, technical assistance support, that type of stuff. Uh, you can look up Overwrite. Um, so my the name of my company is Overwrite, which is kind of like underwrite, but overwrite. Overwriteinc.com. Um, that's for business. Uh, for the podcast, is cultureclasspodcast.com. Um, check that out as well. And then for Podbreak, if you're an African podcaster interested, um, it's podbreak.org. Podbreak.org. So, yeah. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Quickly before you go, for um, what are some business ideas that we can explore in the year 2020? Any chat GPT stocks we can start, you know? buying or what does the future look like as far as investment where should we start focusing on look um i think everyone just needs to be self-aware right again like i'm not that person who say hell everyone needs to be a businessman and be get 10 houses by 22 and you know these youtube motivational speakers be very self-aware what do you like to do right build build a Mm -hmm. business around your passion well not your passion build a a business around your skills and what you're good at, right? So if you're a podcaster, for instance, you you like to to document things, you like to edit, you can start like a podcast agency that helps people edit their other podcasts or like book guests or whatnot, things like that. If you, if you love to, you know, I'm more so, also like recently I've been tilted more towards small business compared to tech businesses, Um to be honest, because I feel like to an extent, like the tech businesses have changed the world, don't get me wrong, but I feel like, man, they're, they're small businesses aren't giving a lot of credit um, in, 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 in the grand scheme of things. But if you're thinking around businesses, um, you know, there, there are several tools that can help you make a successful business in this day and time. But I'll just say focus on, where, where your interests are and where your skills are, right? Regardless of what that is, dancing, singing, whatever, you can build a business out of it. So I won't tell you go and do one business because I wouldn't want you to do something that's outside your wheelhouse. So yeah, that's a very introspective question. Ask yourself, what are you good at? And then based on the tools that are there today for content creation and things like that, give it a chat GPT, things like that. So it's very important to infuse those tools into the, whatever business you think you're going to run to amplify that business. But as far as the core idea, it has to be something native to you. So you just have to be self-aware of that, in my opinion. 
What a very what a very conservative response. <laughs> I'm not out here selling courses and being a guru, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm just doing my thing. So. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lisa. It was a pleasure um, having you on mm-hmm. the show, and again, hope to bring you back again for most. Definitely look forward to it, Mom. All right, everyone, that was the podcast with Osa. Don't forget to catch up on um, other episodes from the podcast and follow him on Instagram on the handles or link them on the show notes. And if you have any questions or comments, drop them as well. Catch you guys on another episode of the Multiple Podcast. I remain your host, Mo. Bye. Thank you so much. Are we done? Thank you. Okay. Yes, we're done. I'm going to end this.